All right, Patsy, out you go. This is it. This is what, Nick? A studio of magnificent pictures, of which Joseph Stone is the owner and director. Well, there goes another illusion. I thought movie studios were all bright lights and glamour. This place looks like a stage set for the deserted village. Well, it's been locked up for the past ten years or so. Oh. Oh, That's funny. The gate's locked. And that's our cue to turn around and go home again. You've got a nice, tasty jewel robbery waiting for you to solve back in town, and you should be working on that. Instead of being way out here at the end of nowhere, playing around a forgotten movie studio. I guess I'll have to pick the lock. Okay, if you must. Patient Patsy will bear with your little game. This is no game, Patsy. Why, what do you mean? The house of Lulu Doré, the star of Stone's new picture, was broken into last night while she was at a dance. She was wearing her jewels, including the famous emeralds. Fortunately, though, nothing was stolen. There. There we are. All right, Patsy, go ahead. Seems funny there isn't a gatekeeper around. It does, doesn't it? Well, I guess they haven't got a full staff for the studio, considering they moved back from Hollywood just to do this one show. Why did they do that, Nick? Oh, Doré had a run-of-the-pay contract for the show she's doing on Broadway and couldn't go west. Hey, there, where do you think you're going? Oh, so there is a door... Gateman. I'm looking for Mr. Stone's office. Well, you can't see him. I'm afraid you don't understand. I'm Nicholas Carter. Mr. Stone's expecting me. I'm taking my orders from Lieutenant Riley of the Metropolitan Police. He says to admit no one. Riley? What's he doing here? Investigating a murder. Murder? I thought you said robbery, Nick. What murder? Come on, get out of here. I got my orders. Come on, Patsy. Let's find Riley or Joe Stone. Hey! You can't do that. Come back here. It's all right. I'll explain to the police. Hurry, Patsy. Hurry. What, what is this, Nick? Should I plan to find out right now? Then I take it this fellow Boyd, who's been killed, is a fairly unimportant chap, eh, Mr. Well, Stone? Well, yes, he, he was just a darn good electrician. Oh, there doesn't seem to be any connection between his murder and the attempted robbery of Miss Doré. Well, no, there doesn't. Is Lieutenant Riley here now? Yes, yes, he's over on stage five. It's that building over there. Do you want me to come with you? Yes, I wish you would, Mr. Stone. There may be points I'd like to ask you about. Well, I'd be glad to help, of course, if I can help. There's one thing I don't understand, Mr. Stone. You say Boyd was shot in the back with a poisoned arrow from a blowgun. It's an odd weapon. should be fairly easy to trace. You don't have to trace it very far, Mr. Carter. The blowgun and the arrow were mine. Yours? Yes, well, you see, how... 11 years ago, I tried to do a picture about a voodoo witch doctor who used the blowgun in it. I don't suppose you remember the picture, Mr. Carter. It was called the voodoo curse. Oh, yes, yes, I do. You had a bit of trouble over it, I believe. A bit of trouble? It practically drove me into bankruptcy. I'd imported a real voodoo witch doctor from Haiti, and he put a curse on the whole studio. Oh, come now, Stone. You don't really believe that. I don't know what I believe anymore. Eleven years ago, we had fires, we had explosions, we had mysterious thefts. We, we had just about everything. It got so that everybody was scared to work here. I had to close the studio, and, and now we have a murder. Why should the witch doctor put a hex on you? Oh, I had an argue with him, though, with a salary of some sort. He, he swore he'd break me, and he almost did. Now, here, this is stage five here. Well, well, Nicholas Carter. Hi, Riley. And Patsy. Hello. Well, what might you be doing here? He's come to help you, Lieutenant. Well, that's very obliging of him, I'm sure. Say, was that a crack? Why, of course not. Well, let's get to work. Riley, where was the body found? Right over there by that door, Nick, where the chalk marks are. Hmm. I wonder what he was doing way over here. He, he was setting up the stage, as I told you. But all his equipment's over there, clear across the set. Riley. How was he facing when he died? He was lying on his face with his head towards that door, Nick. Shot in the back, wasn't he? Yep. We figured from the angle of the arrow that the blowgun fella must have been sitting up there on that catwalk when he killed him. Mr. Stone, 
What's behind that door that Boyd was heading for? Well, special electrical equipment, I believe, for special effects. Would Boyd have known that? Yes, of course. He worked on this stage years ago. He, he probably would have remembered. That's it, then. He was going into that room to see if he could find some special equipment he needed. That accounts for his being way over here. And you think there was something in there the killer didn't want him to see, Nick? Right, Riley. Let's go in. Door's locked, Nick. Oh, Stone, uh, give me your keys, will you? Keys? I, I, I have no keys for these rooms. Well, did Boyd have any? Well, I believe he had borrowed the caretaker set. Riley, did you search the corpse? Of course I did, Nick. No keys? No keys. I, I can get a locksmith out from the village. What? You have no duplicates? Well, the place has been locked up so long. I, I never expected to come back here. I was trying to sell it, as a matter of fact. Take the lock, Nick. This seems to be your day for doing that. Just what I'm going to do, Patsy. I'll, I'll get you more light. Oh, he doesn't need light. He can see in the dark, practically. Now you don't have to see to pick a lock. There. There. And there. That's it. Now we'll get a look at what your killer didn't want Boyd to see. Here, here's a light switch. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Mm -hmm. Don't crowd in like that. Uh-huh. Look. Footprints. Footprints in the dust. Golly, Nick, there goes your theory. Boyd was here before he was killed and took out whatever it was he wanted. Well, it was a cute theory while it lasted. Maybe it's still a cute theory, as you call it. Uh, all we have to do now, Nick, is to measure the prints and see if they're Boyd's or not. They're not. How do you know? Yeah, you haven't even see seen the body. These prints were made by leather-soled shoes, right, Riley? Well, yeah, you're right, but... And Boyd was wearing rubber soles. How do you know he was, Nick? Correct me if I'm wrong, Stone. Don't all technicians on the soundstage wear rubber-soled shoes to kill any noise that the soundtracks might pick up? Well, you're right, Carter, they do. Now, those leather-soled prints mean that it wasn't Boyd, but our friend the murderer who used the keys he took from Boyd to get in here. And they lead to that crate. Let's see what's in it. No, don't walk on the footprints. We need them as evidence. I'll wager you'll find the crate empty. The murderer didn't just walk over to it, look in, and walk out again. Oh, no. He took away everything he didn't want Boyd or anyone else to find. You're right, Nick. The crate is empty. Uh, shall we search the room, Nick? Well, what's the point in that? If there was anything here, it's gone by now. Murderer seen to that. I wonder what was in this crate. I wonder if... Help! It... Help! No! Oh, Nick, the poor kid... What is it, Carter? Another murder. Another? Good Lord. Can you identify him, Stone? Why, it, it's Bill Daly, our camera punk. Camera punk? What's that? Oh, it's studio slang for assistant to the camera. Uh, you, you people, I'll run too fast for me. Hey, what's up here? See for yourself, Riley. Well, good gosh, another murder. Uh, and it looks from his position as if he was just coming out of that door over there. Well, that's funny. Both he and Boyd... Any idea what he was doing around here, Stone? Uh, yes, I... I sent him over here myself about an hour ago to look in that warehouse, see if there was any of that old photographic equipment we could remodel and use. Priorities, you know. Daly was very clever at that sort of thing. Yeah, that's a mean-looking knife he's got sticking in his throat, Nick. Knife? Good Lord. Well, what is it, Mr. Stone? That, that knife. It's from that same voodoo picture. There seem oh. to be a few too many of those old props hanging around. Are there any more? Yes, there's a complete stock of weapons. Everything we used in that confounded picture. The voodoo curse? Yes. I rather think I'd like to see that film, Stone. Is there a copy of it around here anyplace? Well, as much as we ever shot of it, it was never finished, you know. But you run it off for me. Well, certainly I will. I'll go arrange it now. Thanks. Well, Nick, what do you think? I'm not sure. Any opinions yourself? Yes. My money's on Stone's doing it. Stone? 
But why in the world would he do it? Well, I don't know. I haven't figured out the reason for it yet. But he acts kind of funny. Nervous, sort of. And he keeps talking about the place maybe being haunted. Oh, good heavens, Riley. Who wouldn't be nervous with all this murder going around? I know I am. Well, take the weapons, Nick. They all belong to him. But other people could have access to them, Riley. After all, Stone hasn't been here for over ten years. Mm. And there's something more important you've overlooked, Riley. Mm. What's that, Nick? How did Stone manage to throw that knife at Daly while he was with us? How do I know? We were all so busy looking at that star room on the set, he, he could have sneaked up. By golly, I'll bet that's how he did do oh, it. Oh, that's Stone beckoning to us. You want to go to see the movies, Riley? I got better things to do, Nick. I'm going to search this joint. How about you, Betsy? Sure thing. But why do you want to see it? I'm not sure, Patsy, but I've got sort of a hunch that the answer to all our questions lie hidden in that old picture. Did all movie projectors make this racket ten years ago? Most of them, Patsy. Mm. Now listen. So you don't believe in our voodoo magic, eh? Well, if you've been here long enough to see some of the things I've seen. Really, Ross, there's something uncanny about these natives. Call it coincidence if you like. Who's the woman? Gosh, she's good looking. That's Lula Dore, the star of the picture Stone's shooting here now. Don't their voices sound funny and teeny? Yeah, they certainly do. It's enough to scoff when you've just come down from the States. But it is magic. No other way to explain some of the things that happened. Magic, mumbo jumbo, you mean? You'll never convince me it's anything else. I suppose this is another of those wild dances. Now, there's a really good voice. Who is he, Nick? Now, don't tell me you don't remember him, Patsy. Uh-uh. The name was Bart Tyson, great leading man, ten years back. Oh, I remember his name, of course. This is rather better than most of the dances I've seen. Patsy, I've heard that voice very recently. You must be almost over now, Nick. Have you discovered anything? I'm not sure yet. Gosh, they had some pretty fancy photography in those days. I, I thought all that underwater swimming stuff was comparatively new. Oh, no. Stone was the first person to use it. Well, how did they do it? Look at that man swimming. It couldn't be faked. It isn't. It was taken through some sort of a glass tank. That native has been underwater for 20 minutes. No human can hold his breath that long. That's what I've been telling you, Ross. They're magic, these natives. Magic. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. That voice. I've heard it somewhere before myself. I never heard Tyson act before. Hey, don't we see the ending? Nope. That's all they made, Patsy. The picture wasn't finished. Well, did you find out what you wanted to? I'm not quite sure. Well, Mr. Carter, did you like the picture? Oh, a very interesting stone. Oh, that Lula Dory certainly is beautiful, isn't she, Mr. Stone? I've never seen her in pictures before. Has she done anything else? No, nothing. Until now that she's starring in my new show on Broadway. That's funny. To think with her looks and her voice, she'd be a sensation. Mm, that's what I've always claimed. But, well, she got scared off after all these things happened during the filming of this one. And, well, she's stuck to Broadway ever since. And when Tyson, her leading man, was hurt, she rather felt... Oh, about... I was wondering what happened to Tyson. From what I could gather from this show, he should have been a natural for talkies. Oh, he was. But we had a bad explosion and his whole face was terribly scarred. That's why we could never finish this picture... He never could act in pictures again. Oh, what a shame. Well, Stone, thanks for showing us the film. 
Mind if we scout around after Riley? Oh, no, not at all. I, if you need me, I'll be on stage three. We're going to start shooting soon. Good. It's funny about Doré. She seems to be cropping up in our lives all over the place. Yes, she does, doesn't she? Patsy, will you find a telephone and get hold of Scubby? Mm-hmm. Find out what you can about Bart Tyson and what's happened to him since the accident. Okay, Nick, where'll you be? If I don't see you before, I'll meet you at Stone's office at noon. Right. Oh, Nick! Nick Carter! Oh, Riley, just looking for you. You found anything yet? Yeah, we found all the weapons from that voodoo movie. All except the ones we'd already found, that is. How'd you know you found them all? Uh, Stone had an inventory. We checked on it. Well, if your theory about Stone's correct, Riley, he could have falsified that inventory. Uh, well, why should he? Well, perhaps he had a couple of weapons hidden somewhere and doesn't want us to know anything about them. Nick, the, the, the more I think about it, the less I like that guy. <laughs> Find anything else? No, no, not, not a blessed thing. Search the whole lot, have you? All but stage nine over there. That's locked up tighter than a drum. I can't pick locks the way the great Carter does. Okay, I'll take care of those. Uh, Riley, why don't you go on down to stage three? They're going to start shooting the picture pretty soon, and I'd feel a lot more comfortable if someone were on guard there. We've had enough murders for one day. <laughs> Suppose you think this is a gag, having us get all dressed up like merry villagers or something. It's not a gag, Patsy. It's insurance. What do you mean? Just what I said. When we're dressed up in our regular clothes, everybody in the lot knows who we are. But anyone seeing us dressed up like this will think we're actors and never look at us twice. I never thought I'd live to see the day when people wouldn't stare at Nick Carter, master detective, all dressed up in knee pants. Quiet. Did you check with Scubby? Yep. But just as Stone said, Tyson was hurt in that explosion and then just sort of vanished. Hasn't been heard of since. Hmm. That takes care of that. Well, here's stage nine. The only place that hasn't been searched either by Riley or me. What do you expect to find? I don't know. It's funny, this door isn't locked. Everything else in the lot has been. Yes. Riley distinctly said it was locked when he tried it. Well, keep your eyes open. There may be a reason for it being open now. Golly, it's dark inside here. Here. Take this flashlight. Okay. I've got another. Hey, Nick, look. There's an old makeup table. I wonder what kind of makeup they used in those days. Patsy, we haven't time to stop for Nick, you to look at makeup. Look here. Why, this makeup isn't old at all. What's that? No, this is the very latest type of movie makeup, and it's all new stuff. Well, good for you, Patsy. Yes, there's something funny about this. Definitely, Nick. Well, this panchromatic makeup wasn't developed until Technicolor came in. They didn't use this type of makeup back in the days when this studio was in use. Somebody must have been here since. And none of the actors are making up way over here. Right, Patsy. I'll make a detective out of you yet. Now let's see if we can find anything else. Oh, I'm getting the creeps, Nick. I don't like it here. Patsy, I think we're getting warm. This is one of the first real clues with. We... Hey. Hmm? Recognize that? Wait. Well, that must be the glass tank they used to take that swimming sequence in the voodoo movie. Right you are. I wonder why they left it half full of water this way. When they finished taking that scene, they probably just walked off and left it here. Maybe. Don't forget they closed this place in a hurry. What are you doing? Patsy, this water is fresh. What? It'd be stale if it'd been here ten years. Stale and smelly. Say, I'm beginning to think maybe Stone's right and there is a hex on this place. Too bad that voodoo picture wasn't in Technicolor. Those colored stones at the bottom of the tank would have showed up beautifully. They are beautiful, aren't they? Yes, you bet. Hey, Patsy. What? Look here. 
Those aren't just colored stones. They're... Now, your lights, Patsy, quick. We've got callers. Tuck back here behind this crate. The corner's all on the clink this morning with this snooping. Why the boss always swipes such important rocks? Why didn't he settle for just a small frog? Now, the man we're after. big time, that's why. We've got enough dough to pay all the bills until that stuff cools off. And when it's safe to handle it, he'll smuggle it out of the country and sell it for plenty. What's he leave it lying around here for? Hidden in the old equipment. Now, now we know why boy was killed. Who anybody ever come back here? Gosh, when that punk went into that storehouse... I bet he saw the works. Uh, he did. The boss spotted him going in and just had time enough to get that knife and come back and nail him. And the kid was dashing back the stone to spill the beans. Gee, the boss is sure lucky. He ain't lucky. He's smart. He had Lippy planted up on that catwalk just in case somebody got an idea to go into that electrician's storeroom. And somebody did. Just that here. takes brains to know that. Well, we better get going, huh, Jake? Yeah, you start draining the tank so we can get the rocks. I'll get the makeup stuff. Why is he moving everything out now? Hey, he figures it'll cool off by now, and with the stuff he's going to lift from that Doré thing this afternoon. Nick, I'm going to scream. Hold it, Patsy. Who's that? Hey, look. Over there, Jake. Two guys. Only come here. Run for it, Patsy. Come on, run where? Let go of me, you. Let her go, you lousy rat. Guess that'll hold him. Gosh, it took three of us to knock him cold. He a fighter or something? Hey, hey, I know him. It's Nick Carter, the dick. Nick Carter? Hey, and a good-looking doll. Well, it's a good thing you called me in time. Now, what are we going to do with them now that we got them, huh? We can't just leave them lying around. Somebody's bound to notice them. Hey, the fish tank. Yeah, that's right. We'll throw them in there. Then when they're good and drowned, we'll drain the tank and get them and the other stuff out at the same time. Good idea, Lippy. Okay. Here, Pete, you lift the lid. You shove the girl in, Lippy. All right. Jake and I will dump that Carter guy in. It'll be a real pleasure to do something like this to a copper. Yeah. Come on. Ready? Go ahead. Put Carter in first. Okay. Here he goes. Happy swimming, Carter. Yeah. Uh, now dump the dame in, Jake. In you go, lady. Ah, that's okay. Uh, hey, listen, guys. Suppose they get out. We'll see that they don't get out. Stokey, huh? Put the lid down on the tank. Okay, Jake. And I'll put this padlock on, and they're safe as if they was in jail. <laughs> that's good work. Hey, hey, look, boys, they're coming too. So what? Who cares now? Yeah, who cares? Lippy, huh? turn on the water. Okay. Here she comes, Jake. Those two baby spots set up there, will you? This what you want? Ah, uh, that's better. Now, uh, open number two a little more. Okay. All right, this is the take. Ready? Ready. Okay. Lights. Camera. All right, action, Miss Dory. It was when I first opened your letter that I knew at last. As I opened the No, 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 Lula, darling. Mean what you say. Remember, your lover has returned. 
Now, this is your big moment. Now, relax. Take it easy. Now, now, come on. Once more. All right, action. Come on. It was when I first opened your letter that I knew at last. As I opened the envelope, even before I read the words that you'd written there, I realized that what I'd hoped for so long had at last... <laughs> What's the matter with those lights? Why aren't they? Turn on those lights. I'm in charge here. There'll be no confusion. Quiet, everybody. Quiet. The masked man. Who are you to tell me under the light on the stone? This is a holdup. A holdup. Look here, you. You can't pull a holdup. Quiet, I said. Quiet if you don't want a bullet hit you. Quiet. 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 The man's mad. That's better. Now, nobody will get hurt if you just keep quiet and do as you're told. Turn on that spotlight. Okay, boss. That's it. Now, all of you, line up against the wall there. Come on, get moving. I don't want to shoot, but I will if you make me. And shut up. Uh, You can't tell me to shut up. That order includes you too, Riley. Now, don't forget that although you can't see me with this spotlight shining in your eyes, I can see you very clearly. Now, each one of you in turn will step forward and put your valuables on that table and center stage. And don't try to hold out on me or it'll be bad for you. All right. We'll start with a star performer, Miss Lulu Doré. Please, Miss Doré, if you think I can't see her trying to hide behind the drapes over there, you're wrong. You're in this too. Your jewels, please. No. No, not my emeralds. Surely you won't. Surely I will. It's those emeralds I'm particularly interested in. You don't think I care for the little wristwatches and pocketbooks I'm going to get from the rest of these people, do you? But you can't mean to take my emeralds. One more word out of you and I'll come after them myself. And if I do it... Stand where you are, Tyson. I've got you covered. Nick Carter! Nick, please, P, is that you? Come and get me, Carter. Watch him, Riley, if you can. Turn the lights on, Patsy. Right, Nick. Here they are. There he goes, Nick! I missed him, darn it. Did you see where he went, Nick? There he goes, Mr. Carter, climbing up the climbing up the catwalk. Tyson, come down from there or I'll shoot. You haven't got a gun, Nick Carter. Yours is too wet to shoot after your little swim. But I've got my gun. Here! You missed me, Tyson, but I won't miss you. You may not know it, but my guns are absolutely waterproof. Oh, nice work, Carter. You shot the gun right out of his hand. And now your gun's gone, Tyson. Come on down. Yeah, come up here and get me. You haven't caught me yet. So long. Look at him run. He should make a misstep or lose his balance up there. He'd fall off and get a... Tyson! Tyson, stop! Stop! Look out! You don't slip there! Nick! He lost his balance! Watch out, Tyson! Say you want us to drop you at headquarters, Riley? If you will, Nick. Okay. Your men got the rest of Tyson's gang all right. He did. They're coming right behind us. Was Tyson badly hurt from his fall? Oh, no, not much. Just a broken ankle. He'll be all right. <laughs> all right, that is, until he gets to the electric chair. Oh, Nick, when I think of how close we came to drowning, I'm scared all over again. Hey, how did you say you got out of that tank, Nick? Believe it or not, Lieutenant. He cut a piece of that heavy glass with a diamond in his ring. Well, what do you know? But, but look, if it was as easy as all that, well, what took you so long doing it, Nick? I had to wait until the thugs got out of the room. Then I just cut a nice little circle out of the glass right beside where the padlock was, reached out, and picked the lock. All very simple. Uh, simple for you, maybe. Not for me. 
And you say you found the jewels Tyson had stolen in the bottom of the tank, eh? Yes, Riley. What Patsy and I had thought were pretty colored stones turned out to be all the jewels Tyson had stolen during the last ten years, all unmounted and dumped in with the pebbles in the tank. But what made you first suspect Tyson, Nick? Well, Patsy, it was his voice first. Remember I told you after we saw him in the movie that I knew I'd heard his voice somewhere very recently? Oh, so that's why that voice sounded so familiar. Can you imagine that? A movie star turned crook. Then there was the fact that Tyson had faded so completely out of sight after his accident. That looked fishy to me. No great star would have let his career be ruined without bringing a suit of some kind. Unless he had some plans of his own. And from what I learned from Scubby, we realized he never had brought suit. Yes, and a suit like that would have made all the tabloids. But how did you know Tyson and the watchman were the same? I didn't, Patsy. Until you found that makeup kit. That panchromatic makeup is often used to cover scars. And then I remembered the scarred Gateman. It fitted. So did his voice and the fact that he had the only remaining set of keys to the lot. And, of course, he had all the opportunity in the world. But I bet you didn't realize that the murders were tied up with the robberies. Not until we heard those crooks talking, I mean. Well, the makeup kit told me that, too. Remember, Patsy, how you always claimed that all those robberies were done by individuals, not a gang? Yes, but I still don't see Well, Tyson was a consummate actor, and he had complete knowledge of makeup. He disguised himself as a different character, I imagine, for each robbery. Evidently, he played his role expertly, since he succeeded in giving the impression that different people were committing the various thefts. But say, if that makeup was so good, why couldn't he have gone back to the movies instead of turning thief? Well, Riley, it was good enough for dim lights but not for the sharp eyes of the camera. Oh, I see. Poor fellow. What an end for a great star. Yes. The explosion probably injured his mind, too. One more thing, Nick. How did he get to be caretaker? Oh, I asked Stone that. He said he felt sorry for the man and had given him the job out of kindness. Oh. Well, that's all over now. Except that from now on, I'm allergic to water anywhere, except in drinking glasses. This was another strange experience of Nick Carter, Master Detective, called The Glass Coffin or Nick Carter and the Mystery of the Voodoo Curse. Another of the curious adventures of Nick Carter, which are brought to you regularly at the same time by WOR Mutual. And now, Nick, will you tell us something about your story for next week? Well, next week we leave this part of the country and are going out west to the mining districts of Montana. Did you go too, Patsy? Yes, I went along. But Nick and Scubby did most of the work and had most of the excitement. I just stayed in the hotel and waited. Yes, that was the first case that Scubby and I really worked out together. And before they were through with it, Scubby very nearly went crazy, literally. And Nick just missed being buried alive. You see, it started out to be a case of robbery. But it ended up with at least two murders and more excitement than I've had in a long time. Well, I hope it's as good as it sounds. It's better. But more of that next week. So long. So long, folks. We'll be seeing you. And so long to you, Nick and Patsy. In The Strange Adventure You've Just Heard, Nick Carter was impersonated by Lon Clark, Patsy by Helen Choate. The story was written for Nick Carter by Nancy and Jean Webb. Original music was played by Lou White. The entire production was under the direction of Jock McGregor. Next week at this same time, another curious experience of Nick Carter entitled... The Flying Duck Murders. 
are Nick Carter and the Mysterious Gold Thieves. This story is a copyrighted feature of Street and Smith Publications, Incorporated. My name is Humphrey Davis. I've been playing the part of Lieutenant Riley in tonight's show. Just now, though, I'm speaking as myself. Actors, you know, appear at many war bond rallies. We like to know that what we can do may help in selling more bonds. But after all, selling more war bonds is everyone's business. You can talk to your friends about the third war loan campaign just as any speaker might. You know the reasons why we must buy extra bonds. You know how purchases of extra war bonds back the attack. You know that they're a great investment. And you know that giving up something you were planning to buy for yourself and buying war bonds instead isn't really any sacrifice. And as you think of these things, how about doing more in this third war loan yourself? Because you can't do too much for the men who are fighting for us every minute somewhere in the world. The Return of Nick Carter is produced in the studios of WOR and is broadcast over most of these stations every Monday evening at 9.30 Eastern Wartime. This is Mutual. Times two beans is four beans. Nescafe uses lots more beans. Ten beans times four beans. And add three more beans. Make like 43 rich coffee beans. Yes, you get 43 beans in every cup of Nescafe. Real coffee beans, that's all there is. In Nescafe, 43 beans in every cup. Make Nescafe the all coffee instant coffee. With a let's have another cup. Extra beans means extra flavor. Today's Nescafe goes all the way for flavor with 43 choice beans in every cup. The National Broadcasting Company presents The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Detective Agency? Me, sweetheart. Oh. Well, that's a warm reception if I ever heard one. I'm here at my post, Sam, ready to do my duty. All right, all right, let's have it. Have what? What have I done? Well. Come on, come on. Sam, who was that lady I seen you with? What lady? What lady? Sam, for your information, there was a five-column picture on page one of the Chronicle showing you with your arms around... The redhead. Yes. Ah. It means nothing to me as a person, Sam, although I am a redhead myself, but I feel there are certain standards of publicity and and agency of our stature. Angel, Angel, if you'd bothered to read the caption under the picture, you would have learned that my arms were around this other redhead to keep her from braining me with a paperweight she picked off Dundee's desk. Oh. Yes. So take my picture back out of the drawer, and while you're at it, grab the book and pencil, because I'll be right down with a somewhat lengthier explanation entitled, The Sinister Siren Caper. (laughs) 
transcribed for NBC, William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, brings you the greatest private detective of them all in The Adventures of Sam Spade. How do you explain this, Sam? Well... I'm so used to you coming in with... <laughs> Battle scars? Uh-huh. Among other things. How do I explain this? That woman is a cue if I ever heard one. Are you, uh... Ready, Sam. That's all right. That's my girl. To Mr. Donald Stryker, Bellhaven Apartments from Samuel Spade. License number 137596. Subject, the sinister siren caper. Dear Donald... Business was terrible, and I blamed the weather. Sitting in my office with my feet on the radiator and the paper on my lap, looking out on the 48th consecutive day of rain, I was seriously contemplating moving my place of business to a warmer clime, where people could get out in the sunshine and into trouble. The only item of possible interest in the paper was the story of the escape of one Artie the Actor, a convicted bank robber who apparently didn't much care whether or not it was raining when he busted out of the city jail. I had reached the part about some good friend and true smuggling Artie a set of keys when something prompted me to look up. And that, Mr. Stryker, is how I found you. Mr. Spade? Yes, sir? I am Donald O. Stryker. Mm-hmm. S-T-R-Y-K-E-R. Uh, the O stands for Oglethorpe, my mother's maiden name. Oh, well, that's nice. Sit down, Mr. Stryker. Thanks. Whew. Well, now, what can I do for you? Mr. Spade... The Strikers, as you may or may not know, are an ancient and honorable family dating back to pre-Elizabeth England, no. with the possible exception of one southern number who is said to have once nodded by mistake to Jesse James. Mm-hmm. No striker has run afoul of the law. Well, good for you. One and all, we have kept our skirts clean, one and all. That is why I am utterly at a loss to explain the situation in which I find myself. And uh, just what situation is that? A quasi-reliable source has informed me that I am a marked man. Quasi? Yes. Hmm. Uh, why don't you begin at the beginning, Mr. Stryker? The beginning, Mr. Spade, is only two minutes from the ending. Oh? Yes. It happened last night. I was sitting home with a book of Plato's dialogues when the bell rang most energetically. Mm-hmm. It proved to be a man named Strutt. George P. Strutt, S. T-R-U-T-T. Two T's. A wild-haired, wild-eyed individual he was, Mr. Spade. Yes. Stryker, he says. Donald O. Stryker. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd hardly nodded when he grabbed me by the necktie. Ha, he said, just like that. Ha? Ha. Mm-hmm. Mr. Stryker, ha. I'm in time, then. You can still save yourself. And he shoved this at me. Oh, what's that? A picture of a girl, a young and rather pretty girl, out from a newspaper. Oh, yes. No name or identification. Beware this girl, Stryker, he said. Beware the siren song she sings. Stryker, he said, and he cinched up even harder on my necktie. Yes? Stryker, you are number six. I am five, and four are doomed before us. Beware, Stryker, beware this girl, this sinister red-haired harpy, this handmaiden of the dark angel. Well, that's 
quite a speech. Mm, a curtain speech, Mr. Spade. Mm. For with that, he let go my necktie and ran off down the hall. Somehow, somehow after that, Plato didn't seem quite the same. Yes, I see what you mean. Uh, do you know this girl? Never saw her before in my life. Or strut either? No. Mm-hmm. Mr. Stryker, I don't want to talk myself out of a job, but you don't need a private detective. Now, this is probably some harmless chap who walked out of one of the local sanitariums and took to ringing doorbells. But that's just it. He isn't, Mr. Spade. Huh? I did some telephoning this morning. Yes? He has a quasi-successful cigar stand downtown and an apartment on Leavenworth Street. His name is right next to mine in the telephone book. I... I, I must get to the bottom of this, Mr. Spade. I... I... Here. Here's $50. Well, Mr. Stryker, are you completely skeptical? No. No. Just quasi. And with that, we formalized our agreement on one of my quasi-legal contracts, and I promised to call you instantly if anything turned up and you departed still in a quasi-quandary. Sticking the newspaper clipping into my wallet, I hopped a cab and went to Strutt's apartment on Leavenworth. Let's see, 26, 24, 22. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hoo-hoo! Hey! Hey, lady! Yeah, open. It was a cleaning lady, cloth on head, mop and pail beside her, testing the guarantee on Strutt's grand piano. Take it, Mr. Strutt isn't in. Nope. Who are you? Sam Spade, private detective. Detective? Yeah. Seems Strutt thinks someone is going to kill him. <laughs> oh, no. When did he dream that one up? You got me. You know him very well? I've come here twice a week for 15 years. Well. You want to talk, Sam? You'll have to follow me around. Okay. Gotta get a wiggle on. Come on, y'all. I'll get a wiggle on. You think, uh, you think he was dreaming it up, huh? Now, let me tell you about George Strutt. Let me put that bucket down. Oh, please. Oh, there. Sorry. He is 68 years old, to my knowledge, and in them 68 years, one important thing has happened to him. He was born. Oh. George just reads too many cheap books, that's all. Well, no girlfriends? No. Well, now, wait a minute. Let me see. There was a woman about eight years ago in the bird watching club he belongs to, but uh, that laden egg. Bird watching. Any enemies? How could a man like George have enemies? Nobody notices him. He matches the rug. Now, look. He goes to lodge meetings twice a month, to church every Sunday. He doesn't smoke, drink, gamble, spit on the floor, or chase women. Uh-huh. Got no other bad habits. No car, no house, no money, no prospects. Yeah. Look out. I got to get into that closet. Oh, yeah. So why would anyone want to kill George Strutt? Been dead on his feet for 20 years. Why, when I see George, I'll give him a piece of my. <gasps> George! Oh. 
I turned in time to see him lean out stiffly, pause like a falling tree, and then topple to the floor. Followed closely by the cleaning lady, who must have agreed before she fainted that George didn't match the rug anymore. While this struck a false note in my mind, it explained the false note in the piano. The missing string was wound around his neck. I dragged her into the bedroom and managed to get her onto the bed by making two trips. Then I called homicide. The next order of business, per our agreement, was to call you, Stryker. So I got Strutt's telephone book, finally marked the page with your number on it with a slip of paper, which turned out to be the receipt for rent paid on a safe deposit box at the Golden Gate Bank. Now, this didn't seem especially important at the moment, but something else did. He made a circle around a group of six names in the phone book, marking each one with a check. Strubble, Strudwick, Strum, Strutterton, Strutt, and Stryker. I postponed calling you for the moment and dialed the number just above Strutt. Strutterton, Harvey J., 156 Santa Ana Avenue, St. Francis Wood. Yes? Mr. Strutterton in, please. No. No, Mr. Strutterton isn't in. This is his wife. May, may uh, I... My name is Spade, Mrs. Strutterton. I'm a private detective. I, uh, I don't want to alarm you, but... Alarm me? Uh, do you happen to know if your husband has received any threats recently? Why, not that I know of. Any contact with a strange young woman about 30, red hair? Why are you asking me this? Well, I'd rather not say until I know more about it. What about the girl? Yes. Yes, he, he did meet a girl like that. Oh, when? She, uh, she came to the door one night about a week ago. Said her car was stalled down the street a ways. Harvey went out to help her. They were gone about a half hour, and then he came back. Well, did he tell you anything about it? No. Just that he'd gotten her started. Uh-huh. Is he a mechanic, or...? He was a lawyer. Was? Harvey is dead, Mr. Spade. His car crashed through a rail on the Skyline Boulevard night before last. Burned up. I just been to San Mateo to identify the body. Joseph P., 828 Howard Street. Yeah, yeah, that's Joe. That is your beard. Thanks. You know Joe pretty well? I might, and I might not. Why? What do you mean you might not? This is 828 Howard Street, isn't it? The number's over the door. Don't you like me, bartender? What's eating you about, Joe Strum? Look, you see this? Mm, private detective's like... Oh. Yeah, yeah. Poor but honest, Barkey. Trying hard to get a little cooperation. I thought you was a cop. Now, uh, what's with Joe? Well, I'll tell you. Mm -hmm. uh, he, uh, he uses the phone here. He makes a little book now and then in the back room. Nothing wrong, you understand, but still and all, there's nothing a guy likes to blat around about the strangers, you know. Yeah. Any idea where he is now? Well, that's a pretty hard thing to say where Joe is at any given time. Oh. Even when Joe's acting normal, which at present he isn't. Oh, why not? Well, like all bookies, Joe does not have a heart. But if he had one, I would not hesitate to say Joe was in love. With a red-headed dame about 30. How did you know? Yeah, look at the picture. Well, uh, let me get my glasses. Uh, oh. Glasses, glasses, glasses. Yeah. There they are. Uh -huh. Oh, oh, ah, this is the dish. Mm. You uh, know her name? No. Joe has made no formal announcement as yet, but the way it has gone around, he is giving eight to five, he will marry her. 
Which for Joe is a sure thing. Hmm. Uh, last Friday it was when I seen him last. They sat up to the bar here and the two of them talking at some length about things I have never heard Joe discuss before. Like what? Well, as I said, bookies are different from people, so it should have not surprised me that Joe and his wren were not discussing rose-covered cottages, as do most boys and girls when they reach the loony stage. Yeah. From what I could gather as I passed by now and again, serving the other customers, Joe and his girl were discussing a cozy little rose-covered safe deposit box. Mm-hmm. And you haven't seen either of them since last Friday, huh? No, I have. Oh, uh, be right with you. Yeah. Global Leaf Buffet, Charlie talking. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why? You don't say. When? This morning, huh? Yeah, yeah, sure, I will. Thanks for calling. Goodbye. know a bookie who might be casting about for a phone, would you, pal? What happened to Joe? Body washed ashore on Baker's Beach this morning. That was the morgue. I know what you mean, Sam. Marks, abrasions, contusions, indications of foul play. That's right, Maxine. Did you see the police surgeon's report? Yeah. Shot a dope and shoved into the briny. Person or persons unknown. Well, pretty hard to do by yourself, huh, Sam? Yeah. Oh, you wish to look on Joe Strom, I take it. Yeah, yeah, this it? Yeah, let's see. Yeah. Oh, oh, no, no, this is the wrong one. This is Strudwick. Wait a minute, Strudwick. Strudwick. Anthony P. Are you known, Sam? Yeah. 28 Genoa Place, Bayview 72118. Nice looking boy, they said. Mm. Friend of yours, huh? No, no. Huh? Well, then how did you... Brand new league I'm in, Maxie. We call the shots ahead of time. Now, what about Strudwick? Old artist. Lived on Telegraph Hill. Got drunk three nights ago. Walked out his studio window on the fourth floor. All alone at the time. Well, if anyone offers you odds on that, grab it. See you later, Maxie. Yeah, but ain't you going to look on Joe Strom? No. Well, it's up to you, Sam. So long, Strudwick. Top man on the totem pole was James A. Struble, a barber who lived on 18th Avenue. I called, no one answered. So I made what by now had become the obvious deduction. I went to headquarters and checked the homicide reports, likewise the accident files and the traffic details. Surprise. No James A. Struble. So I switched abruptly from the S's to the D's and called on dear, patient, understanding Lieutenant Dundee. Who's going off half cock? You. If you weren't such an idiot, you'd see what I'm talking about. No, listen, Sam, I'm no green pea. I've been kicking around homicide for 30 years. Long enough to know you got to have a motive to build up a case. Yes. How can you stand there and tell me a red-headed dame opens a phone book, draws a ring around six names, and then runs out quick and knocks them off? I didn't say that. Ah? Then why do you want me to put out a general pickup on James A. Struble? Because if he isn't dead right now, he will be. Oh, uh, the dame? Dundee, no dame could strangle a six-foot man like Strutt with a piano wire. She's working with someone. Sam, I love you, believe me, but try to see my side, will you? 
So I put out a general on Struble, and we pick him up, and he screams. And the chief hauls me in to ask why. And I tell him we put the pinch on Struble because his name is ticked off in somebody's phone book. Why? Yeah. Hey, who are you? Lieutenant. I want to see the lieutenant. Hey, is he drunk? I'll ask him. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, what's your name? Struble. James A. Struble. I want to report a murder. Or who? Me. That's the last we got out of him. Ten seconds after he hit the floor, he was dead. A 38 slug had taken him just under the left shoulder blade, and instinctively, Dundee grasped the point. A squad car was dispatched to your office, Mr. Stryker, to pick you up and stow you safely in the pokey when I checked out. listening to the weekly adventure of radio's most famous detective, Sam Spade. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. This Sunday, the glamorous and very unpredictable Tallulah brings you another gala broadcast of the big show. Among Tallulah's guests for this Sunday's big show are Fred Allen, Eddie Cantor, Phil Baker, Eddie Fisher, and many, many more. It's an hour and a half of the very best in comedy, music, and drama. Every Sunday, it's the big show on NBC. For drama this Sunday, Theater Guild on the Air presents the heartwarming play Genie, starring Barry Sullivan and Margaret Phillips. And now back to the sinister siren caper, tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. The next move looked like a tedious one, to take the clipped out picture of the redhead and try to identify her by matching it up in the files of one of the town's four newspapers. I'd gone a half a block when someone saved me the trouble. Sam. It was the bartender. Sam, I got news for you. Uh, where can we talk? How about the Blue Fox? Okay, uh, I'll meet you there in five minutes. Wait a minute, why can't five we talk minutes. here? Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> sorry, Sam, sorry. Well, you're in bad <coughs> shape, bartender. What happened? The redhead. Hmm? Joe Strum's girl. She was in. When? An hour ago. She was loaded to begin with. And when I poured her a couple of stiff horns on the house, she begun to talk. Oh? Sam, crime is rampant. Yeah? For instance? Well, from what she told me, Joe Strum was dwelling in a fool's paradise. Yeah. Much talk, many promises, and an occasional smooch. But when the score is added up, Joe never gets past his own ten-yard line. Whose girl was she? Whose girl? <clears throat> Prepare for a jolt, Sam. I'm holding onto my chair. Adi the actor. Adi the actor? Adi the actor. The picture you showed me was taken at his trial. Yeah. She was sitting right behind his lawyer. Wait a minute, wait a minute. The safe deposit box. Yeah? How much is Adi supposed to have stashed away? She told me. A solid half million bucks. Now, numerous insurance officials and a hat full of private dicks are openly curious as to what happened to the dough. Yeah. And the ranks of the curious have just been joined by Adi himself since he busted out of the jug. No dough? The cupboard is bare. Mm. Why'd he take the box out in Joe's name? She says Artie's a whimsical type guy. Mm. You know what he does? What? 
he slips the phone book open when they pull into town with the dough and picks himself five names and five banks. Six names, you mean? No, five, she says. Mm -hmm. No striker was in. Huh? Never mind, never mind. So Artie figured with the money in five different legitimate names, it couldn't be traced to him if, it, if he got tapped, huh? Which he does get. Tapped and convicted besides. Mm. Now, the dish looks upon Artie as in the deep freeze and hustles around to each of the five guys with a proposition. So? Artie becomes wise to this and takes them up in order when he busts out. Mm. Uh, cheers. Yeah. <laughs> this much, this much I learned before she staggers out of my joint. Mm. The rest I must leave for you to figure. <laughs> you uh, can't drink, bartender. Occasional. Yeah. Uh, Sam. If there is any other reward, though, floating around when the smoke settles, I will be at the Cloverleaf. It's uh, only beer, you know. And if you run across an honest, hard-working book who needs a phone... Yeah, thanks a lot, Charlie. So long, Charlie wiped the froth off his chin with a napkin and took off. I let him have a healthy lead, then tailed him. It was quite a tour, too, into the morgue, across the street, out the Kearney Street door, then onto the California Street cable car and up Knob Hill to the Fairmont Hotel, where he hustled into a yellow cab number 462 and drove off. And waiting for him in the cab was the red-headed dame. There were no other cabs around to follow him, so I waited a half hour until he got back, waved a bill under the driver's nose, and climbed back on the merry-go-round. He let Charlie out at his own place, the Cloverleaf, and then driven downtown to a flea bag called the Shoreside Hotel, on the Embarcadero, where he left the redhead. I woke up the desk clerk and shoved the redhead's picture under his nose. Well, let me see, let me see. Seems like... You recognize him? Sure. Clara Bow. Clara Bow, the movie queen, ain't it? <laughs> Don't win anything. Look, friend, she was just here. Clara? The girl here. Oh, ain't she ain't Clara Bow? Right, right, she ain't Clara. She just drove up in a taxi, and... Uh, don't see you as good as I used to. You, you, you see, the glasses hurt my nose. Look, she just drove up in a taxi. Did you see her come in? No, no, no. I I must have been dozing away. Yeah, yeah. I seen her come out, though. Huh? Yeah. Her and Mr. Walker checked out 15 minutes back. He was in 26 upstairs. <laughs> I didn't have to cross-examine the clerk to see Mr. Walker had lived in 26 for some time. The floor was ankle-deep in cigarette butts, liquor bottles, sandwich crusts, and other debris. A table in the corner was covered with travel folders, mostly on South America. And seven days' newspapers, the top one of which was turned to the story on Artie the Actor that I've been reading in my office this morning when it all started. You know, it's too bad you came in when you did, Stryker, because if I'd read one more paragraph, I'd have learned something that could have saved me a lot of trouble. Whatever was the case with four of the names, the fifth one, Artie hadn't picked at random. His lawyer was Harvey J. Strutherton. Hello? Mrs. Strutherton, this is Sam Spade. Oh, Mr. Spade. Yeah. Thank heaven you called. I'm terribly frightened. What's the matter? The girl. The redhead? Yes, yeah, she just called me. She says, she says my husband was murdered. One of his clients, a man he defended, thinks Harvey betrayed him. Artie the actor, Artie Billings. Yes. There was a lot of money... She knows where it is. Why is she telling you all this? I don't know, Mr. Spade. She warned me against calling the police. I don't know what to do. Well, then don't do anything. But don't you see? She's coming here. She'll be here in 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. 
I made it in 15. Left the cab a block away and walked down Santa Ana Avenue to number 156. The night fog had moved in, making it tough to follow the path through the high shrubbery to the door of the house. Mrs. Strutterton hadn't helped matters any by turning out every light in the joint. Yeah, yeah, she hear you? No, no, come in, come in. Why'd you turn out the lights? I was being watched. There's a fire in the living room, this way. The shades and draperies were all pulled. The windows shut tight. The house had the musty reek of a room that's been closed up for a long time. She guided me around the dining room furniture and through the doors into the living room, sat me down in front of the fire. Would you like some brandy, Mr. Spade? No, thanks. Cigarette? Yeah. Thanks. Tell me now. Tell me, I want to know everything. This man my husband defended. You know he's out of jail? I saw the papers. Why would he kill Harvey? After my husband did everything in his power to get him acquitted. Money. A lot of money. How much? A half million dollars. Oh. How about a match? Oh, yes, of course. I held back, and without thinking, she leaned over into the firelight. I saw Mrs. Stubberman then for the first time. It was the redhead. <laughs> All right, hold it. Now, don't move. What are you this doing? This is a 38 baby at the back of your neck. Now, don't move. All right, where is he? I don't know what you mean. You heard what I said. Where's your husband? He's dead. He's the dead. The body you identified in San Mateo is already the actor. You and Harvey engineered the escape so you'd have a fall guy for five murders and 500,000 bucks. Now, for the last time, where is he? Harvey. All right. Harvey, you'll kill me. <laughs> don't, don't, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> I didn't have to. A few months hence, the state of California will do it the legal way. It was a long ride round Robin Hood's barn striker, but you wanted to get to the bottom of it, so there it is. Period. End of report. Well, Sam, what about the money? I'm still looking for it, If Harvey has thus far chosen not to talk, but Dundee hasn't really turned on the persuasion machinery yet. Who knows? Maybe he's opened the phone book at the P's and put his finger on Perrine, Effie. Oh, don't even think of it, Sam. Uh -huh. I'll settle for $26.87, which represents the shortage in my check covering the period... Effie! What, 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 Sam? Can I believe my ears? What? I look back upon the past 12 hours. How to keep our little organization together, to stave off the bill collector. Oh, I, I place my life in jeopardy, tangled with a murderess. Use my poor, tired body as bait for her savage conspiracy. Sam, I'm sorry. Ferreting my way through morgue and crime-ridden alley to finally win the fight, and I... then, and then to come home I... expecting a cheery welcome and to get instead scurvy innuendos I... and a bill for twenty-six eighty-seven. Oh, forget it, Sam. Don't ever mention it again. I'm sorry. Well, that's my girl. Here, ten, twenty, five, six. $27. Now we're all square. Thanks, Sam. Thank now, you. Come here. <laughs> now you can bring me the 13 cents tomorrow. That's my boss. Good night, Sam. Good night, sweetheart. Three chimes mean good times on NBC.